want to start actually with our Atletico Tucumán update because they were playing as we as we were recording just now. Oh, their game finished like at nine thirty. Mm-hmm. Today, Boca tied zero zero. Okay. Therefore, the game Atletico Tucumán had against Argentinos Juniors was big because this is their chance to to get back into that rhythm, get back that win that they need to to gain momentum. You still have Gimnasia up top with a game in hand waiting. But Atletico Tucumán won 2-1 to one today. Oh, thank God. And they oh, pushed themselves God. up. And they're, cur- they're currently <laughs> leading the table. That's scary, man, because yeah. I saw the table and I was like, dude, they, they, they have to win this next game. And thank to. God they, they did. They won it. They won it. Gimnasia still has a game in hand. And if they win, they'll go, they'll go above Tucumán by mm. one point. Mm. But you know this is going to do a lot for their mentality, man. This will do a lot. It's going to do a lot, so. Um, to start off the pod like that, man. What I will say though <laughs> is that I looked because I, I was curious. I was like, "Well, I don't." I, I Gimnasia La Plata. I also don't really see them up top in mm-hmm. this high of the table. And I looked them up, and very similar to Tucumán, almost the exact same story. The only difference is they have one title, but they won that back like in the 1920s. Damn, man. Um, so this would be like almost a hundred years later in the future, winning a title. So. I mean, Same, if, yeah. if, if Tucumán don't do it, maybe at least Gimnasia do it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. honestly. <laughs> but obviously, Tucumán have never won a title in their history, so they still have my full support. Yeah, they, they, they get priority. They get priority. Gimnasia would still be a great story it's as well, a great man. Story. Great story. So a bit of a, honestly, a rowdy start for uh, Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga so far. Caught the whole game this weekend. Oh, for real? I did, I did. I mean, I've had people reaching out to me. You know, hitting me up on the side. People are wondering, man, what's Soltero thinking about Bayern, man? They're in fifth with 12 points. Hoffenheim with 13. Freiburg with 14. Dortmund with 15. Union Berlin with 17. Yes. And you know what I said to the fans that DM me? <laughs> what? I said Bayern will be top of the table by January. <laughs> That's what I said to them, man. The thing is that that is what history has shown itself. No. Bayern have gone off to maybe not this bad of a start, but they have gone off to shaky starts in the past. Every time they've been able to pull away. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen this year, but it's something that easily could happen this year if, if Bayern want to. What's very interesting about these past results with Bayern is that they actually are missing Lewandowski. They're finally just misfiring, just individually, whether it's Sané, even Mane Loki, who's going on a little drought right now, uh, Nabry, Moeller. They're low-key relying on Jamal Musala to be their main scorer. And right now, everyone else just not firing on all cylinders. So you get you get instances where Bayern aren't scoring and therefore are getting these weird draws. And in this case, this weekend, it gets Augsburg losing. So, yeah. I mean, Bayern are in a really weird situation right now, for sure. Um, but the game itself, man, was fascinating. If you actually saw what happened out on the pitch, so deserved for Augsburg. The atmosphere was really electric. I think Oktoberfest just started in Bavaria. Oh, yeah. So people are coming out to the game, maybe drinking a couple beers before and after. So the stadium's buzzing, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but the Augsburg coach, 38-year-old Enrico Marzen, put on a coaching masterclass. He goes offensive. He elects to have a high press from the get-go and fluster Bayern as soon as the whistle starts. He starts off with a 4-4-2, which I absolutely love because then at that point, you only rely on your back four, no longer a back five, Mm -hmm. and you only have two holding midfielders. Uh, He played essentially four attacking forwards to press Bayern high and hard. 
Demirovic, Niederlechner, Andre Hahn, and Berisha put on a perfect performance on how to press Bayern efficiently, but also athletically too. Because you have to manage your press. You have to manage it. You can't press hard for 90 minutes. But what they did instead, instead of just chasing the ball, pressing hard, they actually just all started higher up on the pitch. So the back line was already at like halfway point. The four midfielders were above that. So they were squeezing Byron as much as they could. And they met Byron when Byron had the ball, basically in Byron's half. The perfect tactic. Now the thing is when you high press like this, there's always the chance that you're gonna get caught. And the thing is Augsburg got caught several times. Damn. Mane had a clear cut chance to go around the keeper and put it through. But he couldn't. Couldn't get past the keeper. Leroy Sané had two chances where he got a through ball. He's not one-on-one with the keeper, but he has a clear shot on goal. All he has to do is put it to the side or put it maybe high and up in top bins. But both shots were straight at the keeper. And that's what I was kind of getting at earlier is that right now they are missing a clinical finisher because they are creating the chances, but they are not finishing them. Because low-key, at the end of the day, Bayern did lose, but they probably deserved a draw. They had three clear-cut chances, in my opinion, and didn't put home a single one. That's bad efficiency. If you get three chances, you got to at least put in one. And they put in none. Augsburg, on the other hand, got their chance, put it home, and we're able to see out their we're able to see out their victory, see out that press. Yes, they did get caught, but they basically relied on what they were hoping to happen, just a little bit of luck, right? When you play a team like Bayern, when you play a team like Manchester City, PSG, yes, you can put on a good master plan, but when you don't have the resources, you always have to rely on just a tiny bit of luck. And this way, it actually went in Auger's favor, which is. I love to see that, man. I'm all, yeah. When I approach the game, I'm always usually rooting for the underdog. Augsburg put on an incredible underdog performance, so much so that they actually got the three points at the end of the game. Yeah, I think maybe there's an element here of us and I guess the general public underestimating the gravity of Robert Lewandowski. We all said that, that was my Bayern takeaway. could just replace him and be fine afterwards because they're so powerful and strong in every other single position. But then you see what Lewandowski is doing in La Liga. And how that same effect, that same gravity, that same potential to win yourself a game, win your team a game, he's doing that for Barcelona now with every single game that he's played. They look magical. They look like the Barcelona of old, man, with how they're just stringing out these victories. And Robert Lewandowski is leading the league already in scoring and doing the same thing to La Liga that he did with Bundesliga. Exactly. And so he's shutting up all those people that said it was just Bundesliga tax, that he was just getting those big numbers (laughs) over there because of a weak Inflation, yeah. Uh, we're seeing that that is not the case at all. Yes. Robert's gravity and uh, effect on the pitch is something that should not be underestimated. And that's, that's what's happening in Bayern now. They, they try to replace it with a, a star in Sadio Mane. But maybe he's having a little trouble adjusting to the team. Maybe he's having a little trouble finding his form because when he was back at Liverpool, if he ever got a job like that, he had killer options in Mohamed Salah, Diego Jota, Roberto Firmino, yeah. Luis Diaz if necessary. That's all gone now. Now you have different options, but maybe there's more of a reliance on on him to be that that go-to striker that Robert Lewandowski was. Yeah. And he's seeing the responsibility at hand for him now. And he's he's struggling a little bit. He'll probably get back on form soon, but but it's interesting to see that now these results are starting to pile up. And is this season shaping up to be the season where Bayern Munich is finally trumped and we see a new team win? Yes, and I, I had so, dude, I had so many revelations watching this game. <laughs> For the first one being, 
what you just said about Lewandowski perfectly put. I'm not even going to repeat anything because you just exactly explained my revelation on Lewandowski and Bayern's relationship in the sense that they're missing Lewandowski, essentially. The, another big takeaway was actually Mane. Bro, if you saw this game, Mane looked frustrated. He actually looked genuinely pissed out on that pitch. And I haven't seen an unhappy Mane out on the field and I don't know if ever. Oh yeah. Mane yeah. Mane is that type of player who plays with a smile on his face. Yeah. He he's a, he's a dog out there. He, he just runs and yeah, he goes yeah, at he, you. He's, he, he's aggressive, man. <laughs> and what I saw out there in that Bayern jersey, I was like, dang, this is not the Mane who played at Liverpool. And just in multiple in multiple facets, as you just said, he doesn't have Firmino to link up with. He doesn't have Salah to help him on the other side of the wing. He doesn't have creative midfielders underneath him or creative fullbacks in Alexander-Arnold or, or Andy Robertson underneath him either. That's Those are completely different players now that he's playing with. Still high-caliber players, Absolutely. but it's a completely different style of play. And I think Mane's really feeling it now. You know, seven, eight games into the season... Things are just different. Now, the thing is, Mane still has that class to figure things out. I don't think it's dire for Mane, but he is on a little of a gold drought, and he just doesn't look as happy, which low-key, I was like, dang, Mane in a Bayern jersey? I don't like it. I don't like it. That was Maybe one of my takeaways. the right move ultimately, man. Ultimately, what I got out of this Augsburg game, man, I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know if this was the right move for Mane. I don't know what the right move was. Maybe just trying to find a way to stay at Liverpool. But I don't know if Byron was it, just just because the playing style is so different team to team. Um, but again, he's still a fantastic player, and I still think he has a lot to give Byron. That's the thing. Yeah. And it's not dire, like I said. There's still Mane can still produce here in the Bundesliga. He can still produce in the Champions League, and he will. I just, from like a personal preference of a, being oh, yeah, a Sadio yeah, yeah. Mane yeah, fan... Yeah. Yeah, with like the, the arc of his career, where it was looking like yeah. it was going and what he achieved at Liverpool, you would think that maybe he would... You would think that he would be somewhere that is more fitting for him than what this Bayern Munich squad has been able to give to him. But my thing is, though, I, I, it's just so confusing, man. I feel so led on by this by this Bayern team because midweek, they yeah, put they, on an absolute masterclass against Barcelona. Yeah. And they look like the Bayern of old, winning those games and still dominating Barcelona in the same little brother fashion that they have yeah. for years. And I saw that and I was like, okay, Byron's fine, man. They're fine. They, they're yeah. starting off a little shaky, but they're fine. Yeah. But then they get back into the league and it's the same type of result and a detrimental one that ended up in a loss for him. Man. Yeah, and w what I actually saw against Augsburg, first of all, Augsburg played so, so well and they really met up to their good opponents in that good sense. Good for them. Yeah, really good for them. Um, but what I saw from Byron was, dude, they looked a little hungover. They looked mm -hmm. indifferent. And I'm wondering if they're just getting tired of the Bundesliga from that sense. Like, are they just, when you play such a big game midweek, especially with all of the headlines, Lewandowski coming back, you've been beating Barcelona for the last, like, what, seven games. Can they continue? And they did. They were able to pull it off. Then you have to go on the road to Augsburg in the Bundesliga. It's just very different. Very, very different. But what, but as, as you said, it is confusing, though, because Bayern have done this for a decade now. Why is this year a little bit different? And maybe it goes back to the idea of they don't have a number nine to rely on, which they always have had. But what makes it so exciting, man, is that this might be the first year where we can have an actual, an actual title race. And this is what I'm hoping for. Right now, we have Union Berlin looking in absolutely incredible. But not even that. Right underneath them, Freiburg... Borussia Mönchengladbach have had very, very good starts to the season. 
Maybe you add in Dortmund. Honestly, I think Freiburg and Gladbach are better. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, and Berlin are for sure better. Berlin yeah. are probably the best team in the Bundesliga right now. Um, Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim's there too. Yeah, Hoffenheim's there too. But again, Borussia Mönchengladbach have done this before though. They've kept it high and hard against Bayern for 20 games of the season, and then they let go. They let go with 12 to 13 games left. And Freiburg had a similar thing last year. They had a really, really good start to the season, and then they, they let go a little bit. But for Freiburg, it's a little bit more understandable because they don't have the resources of even a Mucci and Gladbach. Yeah, yeah. So I understood that. But Freiburg are here again, meaning that their progress last year wasn't for nothing. They're here, and they, they did something right last year, and they're building on that. So that's great. Um, and even Leipzig. We've seen Leipzig actually many times in these last couple years, over the last seven years, keep it high and tight against Bayern throughout the course of the season. But with 10 games left, they always let go. So I'm, I'm wondering, Berlin have never been in this position, at least in recent memory. Maybe Berlin breaks that trend, but they easily, very it's easily, so fickle, man. they very easily could just yeah. fall back into that trend and let yeah. go with 10, 12 games remaining in the season. So there's still so much football to be had in Germany. It's very difficult to tell, even though Bayern aren't looking good. They're not looking good in the Bundesliga, but there's still so much football to be had that I'm not going to say anything yet, but bro, you'll know I'll be catching every Berlin and Freiburg game right now because they're looking incredible. They look they and, look and, and again, as people say, what do I think about the Bundesliga? The last thing I said in my big Bundesliga rant was, you know, at the end of the day, I'm actually cheering for these teams that aren't called Bayern Munich. That's why I watch football. I don't watch football to see Manchester City, PSG, Bayern Munich dominate. That's not why I watch the sport. I watch it to see Gladbach, Freiburg, Hoffenheim, Berlin hey. try to do something special. Hey, ever since you had that rant, these teams have been picking it up, bro. Hey, maybe they heard me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the impact of the give and go, man. God, then Atletico Tucumán suddenly playing for their lives, man. Hey, I'm just saying, there's a coincidence. That's true. Cavaradona playing his life out of Napoli since we mentioned him. That's I mean, true, on, dude. That's very true. Come on now. <laughs> Chivas, I predicted they would be in the playoff. I'll keep going. i keep going, man. My final takeaway doesn't even have to really do with the Bundesliga, but in a way it kind of does. But Ricardo Pepe. So Pepe got that move right, to Augsburg right, right. last year, and obviously he actually got loaned to Groningen in the mm -hmm. Divisi, the Dutch league. Seeing Augsburg play and seeing their front four of Demirovic, Berisha, Niederlechler, and Hahn, I was like, Damn. It'd be really hard for Pepe to come into this team like that and just have an immediate impact. Low-key, I haven't seen an Augsburg game in probably over a year. So this is my first time seeing them in a while. So I was always curious. I was like, why isn't Pepe... Why isn't yeah, he, why isn't he succeeding? What's the problem? Yeah, I was wondering that because I just would see he... I'd only see him make a couple bench appearances. I'd see he'd get like 10 minutes here, five minutes there. And I was like, dang, like, why is the coach not playing him? But after seeing the day, even if Augsburg go on just to have like a mid-season... There's some good footballers on this team, man. Yeah. There's some really good footballers on this team. And you have to, if you have to compete with that, coming from just an MLS background and nothing yeah, else, it's tough. It's tough. that is really, really tough. Because um, when you think about, like, for example, Gio Reyna or Christian Pulisic, mm -hmm. who have had Bundesliga experience, they were raised in the Bundesliga. Right, they grew up in they Europe. Grew, they grew yeah, up in Europe. Yeah. For Pepe to grow up in Texas, have his background just be FC Dallas, and then go to Augsburg... That's that's insane. No, yeah, that, that's that's the uh, almost like the curse that Concacaf specific players are given when they make that move over to Europe. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've I've gone through the same experience yeah. of whether it's an American, a Mexican, mm -hmm. a Costa Rican that you find out they transfer over to Europe, going straight from the Concacaf. 
um, and checking up on them and always just seeing that like yeah, that like lack of minutes. They get like 15 minutes here, 10 minutes there. But it's just I think it's stylistically what what makes the biggest uh, it is. biggest factor because it's so hard to adapt to the way they play over there when it's so different from what we do over here. Exactly. Um, but it's also so cool to see when they are able to actually play oh. a prominent role. Yeah. For example, I would say uh, Santi Jimenez hasn't made his way into the first team, but in the minutes he's gotten, he's been killer, man. He's been yeah. doing great. But then also the biggest example that I saw recently was Jorge Sanchez playing an entire half of football against Liverpool at Anfield, being set to being assigned the role of defending Luis Diaz for the entirety of that second half, and in my opinion, holding his own. When I saw that man, I was like a proud father watching that man. I was like, he's been there for a month, a month, bro. And that's a Concacaf born yeah. player. Yeah, that's who dope. Grew up in Liga MX. Yeah, is suddenly on one of the biggest stages on Europe. Yeah, uh, playing in a Champions League night, defending one of the most dangerous players in the world, yeah. and honestly holding holding his own. his own. And I was proud, man. I was proud. Yeah. And so with Pepe, it's the same type of thing. He he's got to figure out how to adapt his style of football to the European way, but more specifically, the Augsburg way, man. Because it yes. sounds like they have a specific way of football. Oh, dude, they do. And uh, my last takeaway, really like this coach. Yeah. Really like this coach, man. Um, he low-key, if you look him up, he low-key looks like a love child of <laughs> Stephen El Sharawi and David Beckham. Oh, shit. Look him up, bro. Look <laughs> him up. And he honestly, he's got he's got good fashion, too. He's wearing like a nice black thin jacket. Yeah. I was like, okay, this coach knows what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the moment <laughs> you said German and press, I was like, oh, okay, that, that's maybe <laughs> yeah. another one. He's an innovator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this season, specifically with Augsburg, is his first foray into top division coaching. So okay. he's coached okay. like in third, fourth divisions. I think he was in Dortmund's like Dortmund two, Dortmund three team or whatever. Yeah. But this is his first main coaching position job. And he's it's so far looking good, at least with his ideas. L Loki, looking at how Marzen set up Augsburg to specifically play this Bayern team. Because I don't think he, I don't think Augsburg play this way every game. Um, it actually has really shown me that when these lower teams play, for example, Bayern Munich, and I've seen it in France too, when these lower teams play against PSG, they almost take pride in it. They're like, all right, boys, this is going to be once out of the two times we get to play the best team in our league. Let's give them hell. Let's go out and do everything that we can to somehow get points from them. Because I've seen a lot of PSG games, and low-key, dude, most teams are keeping it really tight. Obviously, PSG are still winning. But, for example, Brest last week, mm -hmm. they played great. And his Brest, man, like, no disrespect, but they're a really low team in France. And they were able to keep it 1-0 and actually had a penalty to make it 1-1 at one point, but unfortunately got blocked. Um, they played a really, really good game plan. Very similar to where just press hard, be as physical as you can. And then low-key, players show out. They're yeah. like, look, I'm playing yeah. against PSG. I gotta gotta be on it tonight, yeah. and they do. Onarat and Slimani had really, really good games in that PSG breast game. And then similar thing here with Augsburg and Bayern, dude. Again, those four players that I highlighted, Gresso, Carlos Gresso, the Ecuadorian in the midfield, had really good games. Oh, and I haven't even mentioned, dude, the goalkeeper of Augsburg put on a masterclass goalkeeper performance. He didn't make a single mistake, and he had to make like three clear-cut saves yeah. against these Bayern players. He was phenomenal. And I think he's Polish. I'm not sure if he's going to get called up, but he was fantastic. 
fantastic, dude. So these players are really relishing these opportunities. And it's kind of funny. I was like, dude, what if like these coaches have like a group chat with all the other coaches? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. hey, I just beat Byron 1-0. Who, who, <laughs> they who's, gotta be who's talking up? shit to each other. Dude, they right? gotta the be. Like meeting up for dinners afterwards. <laughs> yeah, like, man. Talking like, hey, I got, you got got last night. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, um, when, uh, when I had my analysis, when Monaco played PSG and got that 1-1 draw and almost nearly beat them. I'm like, dude, like this coach must be feeling so good because his plan worked. It worked. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm loving that these lower teams are really going at these big, big teams. But then you have teams like Manchester City that can't even be touched. Oh, can't yeah. even be touched. Can't even be touched, even be touched. Um, But on the other side, you just mentioned PSG. I want to talk about them real quick. I saw the PSG versus Lyon matchup, and I just want to say a few things because mm. I brought up Lyon uh, honestly like two weeks into this season of the give-and-go, and I made the claim that Lyon would be the second-best team in France. But then Wonder Boy sensation, my yeah. favorite player on the team, Paqueta, yeah. gets kidnapped <laughs> by, kidnapped West, by West Ham. Day, dude. Uh, oh, Low-key might, might have been a downgrade, bro. I think it is. Might have been West a downgrade. West Ham started so bad in the season, they honestly don't look that much better. I think they just they're lost. Never, they're relegation zone yeah, right dude, now. they just lost against Everton, and it's just like, why, why, Lucas? Yeah, why? Why do I have to take him, man? He was a clinical part of why Lyon was Lyon, feeding his teammates, creating, and dancing his way through the French League, man. Yeah, I man. loved it. But the moment he got taken away from that, I was like, ah, well, god damn it, man. That that's that you can put the nail in that coffin already, man. That, yeah. that one's done there. <laughs> um, you fast forward, Lyon starts struggling a little bit. They start struggling to get results, and they have a game scheduled to play against PSG at home, mm. at Lyon's home. And I watch it because I want to just check in on the team and see how they're doing since that prediction. How was it? Man, biggest takeaway, man, like a Z ain't it, man. Yeah. Lacazette nah. is not it. Yeah, it was actually a mistake on Leon's side <laughs> to, get him back. to get him back, man. They <laughs> fucked up. They thought they were going to get the Lacazette of the past, mm. but they got the Lacazette of now, which is a, a beaten down version of what he used to be. Yeah. He had a clear cut opportunity, uh, dude. He's been within five yards. The ball's coming in strong, but he has a, a clear opportunity wide, wide open to hit that ball in. Doesn't even hit the target, man. Jesus. Off to the side. It mm. grazes the top of his bald head. And I just look over at my brother, and I'm like, he ain't it, bro. Yeah. It ain't he it. Ain't it. it, 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 it I, I, I realized it in that moment. You look elsewhere, and Leon does have good options. They have a good right back. They have a Brazilian center back. What's his name? Uh, Tiago Mendes, I think is his Thiago name. Tiago Mendes, yeah. Incredible game, man. He basically pocketed Mbappe, which mm. I thought was really impressive. Yeah. PSG only won that game 1-0. It could have been more if they had finished better. But the magic of Messi once again stood out. Amen. Got himself a goal in that game with an assist from Neymar. They're doing incredible those two little <laughs> munchkins. I was focused on Leon. They have Kakare in the middle of that field. A, a good presence, but man, I was watching and I'm like, I just don't think he's up to that level yet. I don't think he's PSG level yet. Yeah. I do think he has a potential, but he's not there yet. Um, and overall, Leon, that was kind of the same old message with all of them. They're good, but they're not great. Yeah. And you just saw it because they had opportunities, man. Toko Akambi was was so active on the wing, trying to produce an opportunity, and he did multiple times. There's a point where PSG was a little bit on the ropes with how Lyon was pressing them. But when it came to that final ball, when it came to that final play, you just knew, man. You just knew watching it that they ah, wouldn't be able to generate nothing was the, there the, 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 that finishing effort. And it's it's annoying watching those type of games, man, because it's almost like the opposing team knows 
Like they, they allow themselves to sit back a little bit and let them come at them because in the back of their heads, they knew that they just didn't have the quality to score in a moment as big as this against an opponent as big as this. Damn. And Damn. so watching all that unfold, I was like, they lent Lyon's year this year, man. Instead, I think the second best team in France is Marseille, who we've slept on a little bit this, in, this, in this podcast, man. I saw them play this weekend, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Marseille have a great team. They have a great team, but in a similar vein, maybe not as drastic, I feel like they're just not enough. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough on that Marseille team for me to genuinely think that they could actually go toe-to-toe with PSG. I think they're missing... I don't know what they're missing. Maybe it's just pure quality, like pound for pound in every single position. They have, again, they have really, really good players, but I, I, I don't see it. I don't see Marseille, honestly, doing anything big this season. I think they'll stay with maybe PSG to like Christmas time frame. But then after that, man, I, oh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't see Marseille going far, dude. I really don't. That's kind of the point I want to get at is that, you know, you have some other notable teams with, with Lens and uh, Lorient also in the top five. But I think I'm realizing amongst the season goes that this, this is going to be a, a pretty weak French league, uh, league one um, outside of PSG. There yeah. really is no other second or third team that I think is going to be able to do anything special maybe within Europe and the Conference League or the Europa League. Mm-hmm. I don't see it anymore. Marseille got pounced by Tottenham in the Champions League. Oh, yeah. So, like, they, their true colors got revealed. Oh, yeah. It's really just PSG this year. There I really is so. going to be no good second option. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a little saddening realizing that because you do have <laughs> some fun teams. You do. But, yeah. but contextually, within the scope of, of European football, they're not that good. They're not that good. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, this I, I think we made this point a while ago. I don't remember if it was on a live stream or not, but I remember we've had so many second and third place French teams in the Champions League just get absolutely battered by Spanish, English, and German teams. Yeah. Like if you're not PSG, even if you have a good season in League One, you do pretty poorly contextually in yeah. the scope of all of Europe. Yeah. And honestly, I think this just echoes it. We're still in that phase of French football it, uh, second second place in town. The, there's a big drop in quality, man, yeah. from first place. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I completely but agree. Hey, maybe this is Portugal's year to jump into the top five category because you got teams like Sporty CP beating Tottenham. Oh, dude, that was crazy, gotta man. Mention it, that was man. absolutely those crazy. are the results you're gonna need to be able to overcome a, a league like League One, man. Dude, what the hell? Because I saw Sporting play like three weeks ago, <laughs> and they were ass, man. <laughs> they were horrible. Yeah. So they've really, like, I guess that was their turning point. It was Th- that was, that yeah. was their turning yeah. point. That loss against Porto in the league, they're like, oh, we got to play way better than yeah. this, boys. We got to play way better than this. And they, they have. Well, yeah, they, they were they smart. They, they managed to keep that game nil-nil for all 90 uh, the minutes. The whole 90 minutes. It was in the last five minutes where they were just able to get back-to-back goals because once you score a goal in Portugal, man, that, that crowd goes crazy, man. Yeah. It's in the best atmospheres in Portugal. And they got that goal, scored back-to-back goal. And I got to harp on Tottenham a little bit, just a little bit, because I do think this is almost like a bump in the road. I don't actually think this is going to affect Tottenham within the long scope no, of their season. I, really I think they kind of fell asleep at the wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to continue with my uh, street, <laughs> street <driving>. analogy. <laughs> <laughs> they fell asleep at the wheel. They were a little lackluster. They didn't look as clinical and as awake, honestly, playing Sporting CP away from home. And Sporting CP, I give them credit for, for finding a way to neutralize this this super uh, attack-minded Tottenham squad that laid six fucking goals on <laughs> Leicester this past weekend. So credit to Sporting CP. Yeah, and yeah. like you said, maybe this is a turning point for them, and I hope it is because 
We need that third strong Portuguese team Bro, to, to come along, man. Please. To really push the envelope in Portugal. That'd be dope. And low-key, this year, it might be Benfica and Sporting as far as like the Portuguese teams that could do something might, in the Champions might, League. Might. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I don't know. Benfica got off to a good start oh, in Champions yeah, League, man. They've got off to a great start. Yeah. And actually, both of them, I think, have six points. Mm-hmm. So, and Porto, didn't Porto get absolutely rocked? They got robbed, bro. Who they play? They lost like 4-0 against Bruges, dude. Bruges. Now, it's funny because I've actually seen both Porto and Bruges yeah, play yeah. like in weeks prior, and I did not see that in Bruges, and I did not see that in Porto. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just didn't see it. Yeah. So these Champions League guys are completely game. different than club level. And we actually said that about Bayern, too. Mm-hmm. Bayern losing to Augsburg at the weekend, but before that, going crazy on Barca. Great. I mentioned Tottenham beating Leicester. Bro, is Leicester going to get relegated, man? I think so. Dude, they cannot defend. They can't. And you can just tell, man, when you watch a team of low-quality play and they go up or they score a goal, they manage to stay in it just like they did against Tottenham and just like they did against Brighton Brighton. a couple weeks ago. But you can just tell, man, their inability (laughs) to keep the game level. Good (laughs) Lord, man. The same thing. It's the repeat of what happened to Brighton. It's the repeat. Happened to them at Tottenham with one more goal involved. Yep. Good Lord, man. It's really bad. And... And not even the way that they're, not even the fact that they're so wide open, but the way that they're conceding, man. Like, for example, the most clinical part of that Tottenham-Leicester uh, game was when Wilfred and Didi lost the ball in the middle of the field oh, when they were tied. that was horrible. I'm like, bro, the game is tied. This is your chance to string out a point in North London. And a mistake like that, it was man. really bad. Imagine being like James Madison. You just scored a beauty of a goal to keep the game tied. You feel good about yourself. But then you look back for a second. And your teammate is just losing the ball like that, man. Yeah. How frustrating that must be. Hey. Just be like, God damn, like, guys, we're trying to get back in this. We're trying to win this game, immediately, guys. <laughs> immediately, you're, you're, indeed, he's like, I might need another goal from you, James. He's like, fuck, <laughs> dude. Like, Jesus, I can't, I can't do it, man. I can't no. do that much. To me, man, I've been saying it since we started this pod early on, man. I am not a big Brendan Rodgers fan, You did say man. that. And I don't see it, man. I'm surprised that he hasn't been sacked yet, considering what, this is six losses in a row? Yeah. Like, yeah. after the fourth loss, in a row, man, like, that's a lot. Like, I could understand yeah. being winless, but all straight losses, man? It's frustrating. That's it's, pathetic. It's so because, like, what do you actually have if you're Brendan Rodgers to bank on? Like, what, what, what are they what are they holding on to? An FA Cup win back when COVID protocols yeah. were still in place, yeah. bro? Like, the way his name has carried him throughout this job. That's all it is now. <laughs> it's just his fucking name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He should have been fired fucking three weeks ago. He really man. should have, though. And... The, uh, another thing that I guess kind of is out of Rodgers' hands, though, is I would say offensively, every single player, maybe besides Madison, is out of form. Harvey Barnes used to be a menace yeah. down that wing. Yeah. Used to be an absolute menace. Now, the guy can't even make more than like three touches on the ball before getting it stolen, dude. His dribbling effect is completely gone. Jamie Vardy, unfortunately, I think his age is now yeah. showing, unfortunately. Yeah. Ayose Perez. I will never disrespect him. I'll never disrespect Vardy. No, 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 but, but unfortunately, I think he's just a little too old now. Uh, Ayose Perez, form completely yeah, gone. Happened, eh? I don't know what happened to him, bro. He, he could have been a decent Premier League striker, yeah. but it just never worked out for him. And he's gotten worse, honestly. Um, you're relying on Pat Daka, but I don't think he's going to be your go-to guy. He's going to get you some goals, but ultimately, you're probably going to need someone a little bit more clinical. Yeah. Probably their only saving grace is Yuri Tielemans. Has to be. That's it. And James Madison. And James Madison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, lifeless, man. Lifeless. But I don't know. You don't think this is one of those teams that they just get two wins in a row and suddenly they're out of the relegation zone and they're fine? Like, 
Maybe they maybe I, I do think they're like a below fifteen ranked team in the Premier League, but to think that they get relegated, man. I know that'd be insane. But the the, the problem is, dude, what it's going to take is for like five to six of their players, half of their starting eleven to find form. Half. Like if it was just one or two players who are out of form and like, ah, they cost us the game, that'd be doable because they eventually find that form. You need half of the goddamn team to somehow fix themselves. That That's going to take a lot, man. Yeah. And what it might take is a, a coaching change. But so. but they need to do that soon, so. bro, yeah. before it gets too too bad. Yeah. Luckily, Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest have also cannot find a way to yeah, really Nottingham win. Nottingham Forest is in 19th, I think. Yeah. And then in 18th, you have West Ham. Yeah, West Ham, but I don't think they'll be relegated. <laughs> There's no chance. I think they'll figure out a way yeah, just because yeah. pound for pound, their quality is so much higher than Leicester. But even then, bro, West Ham are playing really hammer, weird. If you're a hammer, though, if you're a hammer oh, fan, bro, you're I'm pissed, disgust. bro. I'm disgusted. You're disgusted. disgusted you're, not even, you, you're not even aiming for like a top eight finish anymore, No, no, no. Man. I'm begging That's... for 14th place. <laughs> begging. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointing with how they've been able to perform these past few years, kind of just being in the mix of like that top eight. God. So fucking annoying, man. So annoying. Yeah. And it's the same players that have been here for the last like two years. No, well, that's kind of... They, they spent money, though, this offseason. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah, bought yeah, in Scamaca. Yeah. Lucas Paqueta is a yeah, huge fucking yeah. name but I don't think he's as good of a fit at West Ham as he was for Lyon I don't think he's a good fit at West Ham bro yeah. I think that's what it comes down to he should have gone to any other should club upgraded, bro. should have upgraded yeah. maybe even make a lateral move yeah. god damn it <laughs> it's so annoying that he yeah. went to West Ham bro yeah. truly yeah but I do think they'll get out of the relegation zone I think they'll be okay on the converse side talking about shitty Premier League teams if we go the exact opposite way man talk about Manchester City I remember I texted you earlier this week after that Dortmund game yes and I said, being up a goal against Manchester City literally means nothing. It means nothing. And that's insane. A goal, one of the most like prized possession in all of sports, means nothing if you're playing against Manchester City. How many times already, we're only like, what, seven games into the, se uh, into the season in the Premier League, just the Premier League, that 3-1, uh, when 3-1 Newcastle, Newcastle were up. Dude, to me, that was such a big indicator how good Man City is. Yeah, bro. They, come, they came back low-key like it was nothing. And uh, honestly, the only reason why they didn't score four is because Holland was still just figuring it out. It was like the second game yeah, or third game of the season. Yeah, in my opinion, Man City even play, didn't even play well that game. Mm -mm. And Newcastle played the game of their lives. Exactly. And then there was a there when you were in Portugal, Manchester City played Crystal Palace two nil. Crystal Palace two nil. And it's funny because when Palace went up two nil, the comment the main commentator was like, "Palace making history right now. They're they're gonna make a story." And then the color commentator was like, "Or the start of a story, maybe." He knew. He knew that Manchester yeah. City were somehow going to come back. And by the time Manchester City scored their fourth straight goal in that game, the color commentator was just going, he was like, he was like prophesizing. He was like, <laughs> Manchester City, the, you know, the gods of Europe, the gods of Lincoln have done it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, my God. Yeah. And then the same thing happens with, against Dortmund. It's 1-0 Champions League. But what happens? Erling Holland comes to town. Manchester City, as a unit, show up. They turn it on, and once they turn it on, you—they cannot be I stopped. That. I've been able to, to see it get stopped, man. Yeah. Only, only the mighty Real Madrid somehow found a way to get past. I can't believe they got past them in the Champions League semifinal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But like that might have, that was the only kryptonite available that could have done it, and they did it because outside of that, man, Man City 
at this point has earned the respect of if you get a goal against them, it's meaningless. meaningless. That's the respect you have to have for Man City when you play them now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't at this point, don't even celebrate until you're four goals up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, can't yeah. even yeah. get there. Yeah. I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about the Invincibles from Arsenal, um, their mm. magical journey. Mm. And I asked myself the question, do I ever see Manchester City being able to achieve an undefeated season in the Premier League? Whoa. And I wonder if, I just wonder, man. I wonder if, if this might be the team that could do it because the way that they've this been able the to team? pull out these results, man, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, man. Yeah. To be able to be up 2-0 and lose that lead yeah, and, 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 and then lose the game by two goals? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. And we saw it at the end of the season when Liverpool needed it. Yeah. Where we saw then Aston Villa go up against Manchester City. What's going to happen? Can City come back? Oh, they came back. And they came back hard, man. Yeah, man. This is just what they do. Yeah. Um, because usually, normally the Man City that we know would have lost that game to Crystal Palace. Mm. They would have. That would have been the one-off. They usually lose one to three games a season. And Crystal Palace, surprisingly, has had their number in that yeah, sense. Yeah. But this time you see them go up 2-0 and... In comes Erling Holland, yeah. boy wonder kid, superstar, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> Hat trick. Yeah. Hat trick to save yourself. Yeah. Not one point, but all three points. Yeah. Gets you everything possible. I don't know, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get ahead of myself and say some dumb p- football podcast bullshit where I'm like, man, he's going undefeated. <laughs> but I, I, if there's a team that could do it, it could be them. I think I actually really like this take because maybe it's not so far-fetched, man. This could be the team that does it. And I think as cliche as it is or as apparent as it is, it's Erling Holland, man. He cannot touch a ball for 30 minutes and then score in the 31st minute. He has that effect, effect that no other striker on this planet has. Yeah. And that right there can keep you from losing a game. Yeah. So if there's a team that can do it, it might be the City team, bro. Yeah. Arsenal and Tottenham staying with Man City so far. Thank God. Staying with them so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arsenal get a huge 3-0 win against, I believe, Brentford. Brentford, yeah. Looking good as always. It looked picked up right where they left off following that Man City yes, loss. Yes, exactly. So good for them, man. Yeah, yeah. Good for them. And same with Tottenham. 6-2 win against Leicester. Yoming Sun. Yoming Sun coming up. goals, man? Dude, what the fuck? God, like, damn, uh, man. No he, one hits a ball like Hyung Min no, Sun, no. dude. Nobody. He makes it look so easy, too, oh man. Like, I could just do that in my backyard. Like, <laughs> he slings it, bro. He, he whips that ball. It, bro. Right foot, left foot, don't matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. He's a joy to watch when he's on it. It reminds me a bit of Robin with how he, he had, like, his, his signature cut inside move and then Ooh. put it top bins. Hyung Min Sun has, like, a signature, like, outside the box. Yeah curved finesse shot that just falls into the corner high or low no matter what no matter and he just finds a way to get it back in the back of the net he's a born natural goal scorer yeah and i'm glad that he had that moment because for a minute there yeah for a second there's a little bit of skepticism towards is is he losing his form what's going on um nah he's fine yeah because he didn't even start the game either he came off the bench to do that and he was he responded as conte is like that's my boy right yeah, there. Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah. he made the right decision. Son, son's back. Yeah, now. he needed those couple games off. Exactly. Charleston got a confidence boost in the meantime. That too. Yeah, Conte's managing right and now. Conte's man. managing, managing, dude. He's God managing. damn. The America versus Chivas result. Why the sad face? Fun game, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I thought this would have been it, man. I thought this would have been it. You had me thinking it was I too. Thought this is gonna you be hyped it, it up, but, I, but the thing is, there was there's truth there. There's truth there. Good lord, man! Still, even still, Alexis Vega, man, mm. Alexis Vega. He had, he almost. Did you see that near banger he scored? Yeah, I the did. Free kick. Yeah. Ay, yeah, yeah, man. 
that would have gone in, man. If that would have gone in. But now, nah, four minutes in, penalty to America. They score. Enrique Mar- Martin does the uh, Cuauhtemo Blanco tribute celebration, um, followed by another America goal to put them up 2-0. And then afterwards, Chivas making a push to come back. Chicote Calderon scoring a, scoring a goal, gets us back in the game 2-1, and then controversy ensues with uh, yeah. Ochoa what could be incredible save or goal that crossed the line just barely. We don't really know. And it's crazy seeing so many different camera angles of what, what happened in that moment. But ultimately, man, I actually think it didn't go past the line. Okay. I think, I don't think it went past the line and that sucks saying, I, I hate saying that as a Chivas fan, but I think the refs got it right. I think it was an incredible save by, by Ochoa, Ochoa, man, to have the arm strength to push that shit out. I think what doesn't bother me so much about this loss is that I do think America deserved it at the end of the day because after that moment, Chivas couldn't really get on top of the ball and like produce another opportunity. America actually almost scored another goal. So yeah. to me, they were the better team on the day. It sucks to say that. I fucking hate how it feels, <laughs> but it's all right. We yeah. got Ligia coming up. Yeah. We're in the mix now. Anything's possible at that we'll point. See, we'll see him in the final, bro. We'll see him in the final. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that'd be a hell of a final. Yeah, good one. But I, I think as we prefaced it before the game, right now, even though Toluca at one point looks really good, Monterrey at one Monterrey. point looks really good, Tigres Santos technically are up high mm-hmm. on the table, technically. I don't see any of those teams stopping America. I really you think don't. They found their form now. I think they found their form, but so much so they're if you have to play them over two legs, man. Uh, I don't see a team beating America. I I really don't. Maybe if it was like a one-off game, like in like in this like mm-hmm. type of classical situation, sure. But over two legs, I don't think there's a team right now in Mexico that could actually beat America. Yeah. I will say, man, it was, it was nice to see the Azteca buzzing like that, man. Mm. Might be the most packed I've seen Azteca in a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, it, it was, it was packed. See. Yeah. Yeah, it was good to see. So you got those fans back in place, man. That, that, that could be a really fun uh, title run if you're in America. Fan. That actually could be a really yeah. fun title run, yeah. yeah. So we'll see. But still, Monterrey is right behind them by one point, And they've actually lost less games than America this whole season. So they've yeah. been more consistent throughout the whole season. But America is obviously on this godlike form right now. For me, Monterrey, games. again, have had a really, really good season. But offensively, I think... They've lost a bit of form, just just a, just a, just a tiny mm-hmm. bit, and I think that'll matter going into Ligia when you really need a goal, especially against a pretty solid, well-formed team like America. You need to be firing. You need to be on it on both wings and up top. And right now, I think Monterrey have I've just lost that just a little bit. Toluca, the same thing, man. Toluca looks so so good in the first eight games of the season. Since then, though. Their offense, it's just it's not working right now, at least not as efficiently. Whereas America, they're just, they have stayed consistent. They've stayed true. They're, they're averaging like two goals a game right now. Bro. So the, the, if anything, yeah. it's just reverse. America right now, I see them as the only team that offensively and defensively are remaining consistent. Bro, if you're, if you're Tata Martino, man, why not just start the offensive life for America for Mexico, man? Yeah. <laughs> Enri Martin... Sentejas, I know, is acting up a little bit. They're talking about him potentially even going to the U.S. Did you see that shit? Wait, really? Pulisic reached out to Berhalter wanting him to kind of lure Sentejas into the national squad because he actually hasn't picked a a nationality to play for. No. Yeah. Yeah, apparently Pulisic recognized his talent. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Sentejas has been really... Him and Tata are beefing. 
they're they're having trouble like uh wait really yeah, yeah so that they just won't pick him and they doesn't him like it yeah there's like some beef uh between them two like that they don't see eye to eye Dude, the, and so he's not gonna call him up the beef an international coach can have with the players man yeah i'm starting to really see yeah. a lot of it and i don't like it yeah I, I heard a taylor tolman podcast at the middle of the week and uh he was talking about how i think it was in 2006 bruce arena just didn't like him didn't like taylor tolman <laughs> and at the time that that whole calendar year yeah he was the leading american score yeah Tolman banged in goals in the mls yeah. bro banged him in across all leagues i mean he was the highest scoring american and bruce arena didn't call him up to the world cup squad oh and he was talking about how and Tolman on the podcast was just like no, like I could have scored a hundred goals that season. I wasn't gonna get called up. He just didn't like me, and he was there with Jimmy Conrad, who's also a U.S. American soccer player. Oh my god! And he said the same thing about the following coach. He was like, uh, they try to phase players out and bring new players in, and sometimes you're just part of that pack that just doesn't get phased in. And so, no matter what you do, you just can't get that call up. Can you imagine how frustrating that must be? This is so frustrating. Because at least at the club level, there's a level of like, there's a level of recognizing your talent. Yes, yeah. putting your bias aside, seeing that a player is really good, your team needs it, you go for it. Yeah, exactly. But in the national team, ego gets involved. No, man. no, ego gets heavily involved on the international stage, man. And I, I hate to see it. If I was watching football intently back in 06 and I saw Twelman not get called up, even though he was scoring that many goals, oh, dude, I would have been incensed, I mean, enraged, man. Yeah. As a fan, I'm like. Oh my God! Yeah, but that—that's how drastic it can get when it comes to this ego and uh, coaching selections, man. It can get that bad, yeah. where it's so apparent you have to pick him, but the coach can actually just say no, no, no. And that is—that is, that is bizarre. Reason. There doesn't have to be a just, reason. No, no. It got personal too because apparently the other players that didn't get called up that were like on the on the fence of maybe getting called up, they got emails and messages saying like, "Hey, we we couldn't call you out for the World Cup." But Tolman didn't get anything. Oh, he didn't get anything. so it got petty. It got petty. It got petty. It got personal, man. And the whole pod it was really good with him and with Jimmy Conrad and uh, his uh, co-host. It was a really good podcast. If y'all want to look it up, he Dang. talks about that experience, man. It's nuts. Should that would hurt me, man. I don't. That would hurt me as a fan, as a player, yeah. as even yeah. as a teammate. I'd be like, man, Taylor's not here. But it's a thing, bro. <laughs> Zich. Yes, it, no, it's a, it's with, a thing. Uh, Morocco. It's a thing. Donovan with uh, with yeah. Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah. Technically, Cheech with Martino. Yeah. Technically. Throw in though, Sendejas. Throw in Sendejas. Yeah. Throw it in there, man. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot out there, man, and yeah. I'm, I'm not liking it. All right, folks. So today, we're going to go deep into the Brazilian national team. That's right, Brazil. The five time World Cup champions, the uh, iconic country and team that has made a name for themselves and how they perform in this specific tournament. Let's go a little bit into Brazil's history first to start. Oh, okay. You know, I want to start at... History lesson. 2002, when Brazil last won the World Cup uh, 20 years ago. I was seven years old, and I'll be honest, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I was <laughs> too busy watching Blue's Clues, not Cafu. You know? <laughs> I was busy. Um, and so in my experience, in my life, I've never actually seen Brazil lift the World Cup trophy, yeah. which is... Something I hope to experience one day with how people uh, remark about how magical it is to see a Brazilian team dominate the sport. Yeah. 2002 comes and they win it. Iconic team with legends like Rivaldo, Ronaldo, Cafu, Ronaldinho, and so on and so forth. 2006 happens. They lose in the quarterfinals to France. 
2010, Brazil loses to um, Netherlands. Mm-hmm. 2014. That was mm-hmm. inevitable. 2014? No, 2010. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How's that yeah. hard, tough team to be? Netherlands beat? was on fire. Yeah. 2014, it's the memorable loss to Germany, 7-1 in the semifinals. Mm. And that's the farthest they've made it since. 2018 comes and they lose in the round of 16 again, this time to Belgium. Yeah. And so here we are, 20 years past from when they last won the World Cup. And I want to establish a few things because you've said it yourself. You believe this is the best Brazilian team since 2002. And I actually am in agreement with you. Uh, I know that there's a debate with that 2006 squad potentially being better, but we're going to preview this team. We're going to give you reasons for why you believe this team might be might be past that squad. Yeah, and and to say why the previous teams aren't this squad, if you think about 2010, they had, Brazil had a weird group stage. They barely beat North Korea, and then they e- immediately just got they, they got they got manned by a really really good Netherlands team. Essentially, if you think about the best teams in 2010, Brazil weren't close to them. Yeah. They really weren't. It was like in the finals, it was always going to be some version of Germany, Uruguay, Spain, Netherlands. Brazil was not in that top four by a long shot. 2014, Brazil were at home. So they really used that energy. It was a really fun team. But if you think about it, they were low key using some weird players, man. Like relying well, thing, on yeah. Oscar, relying on Oscar yeah. and a combination of Fred, like Brazilian uh, striker Fred, mm-hmm. again, who did as good as they could for the national team. But when you look at what they have now, it doesn't even compare. Well, that's what a lot of people are talking about. The 2010s might have been the darkest decade for Brazil Mm. with that 7-1 loss to Germany, but also the talent that they were producing wasn't up to the level of the 2000s and years past. Now we have a team that might be, might be what Brazilian people have been looking forward to. The Brazilians are itching for a deep World Cup run um, and even more so a victory. And so that's how I'm going to set up the stage going into this World Cup. Can this be the year that Brazil finally lifts that iconic World Cup trophy yet again, and this time at the hands of Brazilian superstar Neymar? Oof. And that is a perfect setup because I think that's a setup that we have to go with, that everybody has to go with. If I'm going to get straight to the point, which I am, Brazil are title contenders. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. When you look at this squad, pound for pound, every single player in position, and I know people will criticize that back line, sure, but we'll get there. We'll get yeah, to that we'll get soon. We'll, we'll, get, get we'll get to that soon. But when you look just a little bit further up that pitch. <laughs> just look up a little <laughs> just bit. Just look up a little bit. <laughs> Tilt your head up a little bit. You see nothing but world-class players. Greatness. Greatness. And it actually, you brought, you brought up a good point that I haven't really thought about. If you if you say that like post two thousand two was a and up to twenty twenty two was a dark time for Brazilian talent for Brazilian product, if you look at this team now, bro, this might be a defining Brazilian team not just for soccer watchers but for people who tune in to tune in to watch soccer once every four years, and that is at this World yeah. Cup. Because I remember growing up, people would tell me Brazil, Brazil, yep. Brazil, mainly talking about like ninety six or ninety eight two thousand two, and then I watched them in two thousand ten. I was like. Eh, you know, <laughs> and I was like, eh, they're all right. Uruguay's yeah. way better, yeah. you know, and then watching 2014 was really cool. But then, uh, you know, they, they just faltered at the very end. They, they unfortunately lost Neymar. And then 2018, I thought was a bust, man, yeah. a true yeah. bust. But when you look at these players now that represent Brazil, you see that Samba. You see that flair, you see that dance, you see the talent, you see everything you, that I heard about growing up as a kid of what a Brazilian yes. player should be. And so I think now 
people who don't watch soccer and they they hear Brazil too because they hear the word Pele and all that all that stuff. I think they'll see this team and be immediately satisfied with what they see out on that pitch. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, this is definitely Brazil. And I didn't get that as a kid, but now I'm going to get that now here at this 2022 World Cup, man, because this this team is stacked. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. stacked. Going beyond just the eye test that you explained, you look at the numbers, man. One of the greatest qualifying cycles that Brazil has ever oh, endured in their history. Yeah. Uh, accumulating, I think, some like 45 points and actually having a game in hand. They didn't end up playing <laughs> that last game against Argentina. Yeah. In 17 games, they scored 40 goals, only conceded five. Five, dude. Only conceded five. five and actually, I'll, just so I can get in my small take here, I've said it before, South America is on the downgrade unless you're Brazil or Argentina. And you cannot convince me that, oh, going to Bolivia or Ecuador is hard. It used to be. It used to be hard. You cannot play 17 straight games and not lose and say it's a difficult qualifying campaign. Brazil are that much better, sure, but the quality has dropped opponent-wise. But nonetheless, an insane feat for Brazil to go undefeated and score as many goals as they have. And so they find themselves qualified for Qatar 2022. All right, so now let's look through the lineup to analyze what options Chicha has at hand because this team is pure depth. It's pure, pure depth. depth. No. We're going to start at the very back. Oh, yeah? At okay. The very back, at the very beginning. For me, the clear cut starter for this team is going to be Alisson. Yeah. Liverpool's Alisson. And it's funny because, first off, I completely agree. No other keeper is going to start for Brazil at this World Cup. But it's funny because I wonder what was the deciding factor when Chiche decided this way back. Because this has been a decision yep. that he made early on. And it's funny because both Alisson and Ederson are the same age. And honestly, I feel like they kind of hit the stage at a similar time. Yeah. Maybe Alisson a little bit earlier with Roma, maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe that's why he went with it because he was just like, oh, he's at Roma, whereas Ederson was at Benfica. Maybe he just valued that a little bit more. Then they both obviously went to much bigger clubs and achieved greatness, both of them. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering what ultimately decided why he likes Alisson. But he's gone with it since the beginning, and it's not going to change. Yeah, I, I think... I think overall, I think Ederson is actually better on the ball, but mm. as a goalkeeper who makes routine saves, mm. I think Alisson is safer. He's safer. He's he's bigger in the goal, and I think he has a stronger presence there. Yeah. And he can also play from the back as well. I think yeah, no, honestly yeah. up to that Ederson level. So uh, I think for me, the, the, it's the clear option. Alisson is going to start. Yeah. But then you can also throw in uh, for depth, Weverton yeah. from uh, Palmeiras, who. Uh, if he becomes part of this squad, he'll continue the pattern of Brazil. Have you heard that stat where they've only ever won a World Cup when they have a Palmeiras player? No, just like called up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All they need is a Palmeiras player to be in the squad, and they'll win a World Cup. Good Lord. Yeah. So they needed that Palmeiras player. Maybe Weberton, that's all he serves for this team yeah, at the end of the day. He's a good luck yeah. charm. Yeah. <laughs> but he's also a very quality goalkeeper. Won two Copa Libertadores. Palmeiras has been one of the best Absolutely. goalkeepers in South America. So yeah. he does deserve that call-up. So that's, mm. that's their depth right there. My goodness, at yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah, it's pretty insane. You want to get into this defense, man? Oh. <laughs> when we talk about the Brazilian national team amongst everybody who watches football, it's the defense that brings up the most discussion. Yes, and I definitely see why, but I'm going to start with the two positions that I think are sure fire starts for Chichen. And the thing is, people, I think, still disagree with this, mm -hmm. but I don't see why, I'll be completely honest. We'll I think that, I agree. I, <laughs> I, I think the two starting center backs have to be Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. Yes, sir. 
It has to be. There are no two other Brazilian center backs in the world that play at the high level that they do or have the same high-level experience that both Silva and Marquinhos have. I know people maybe say Silva's a little too old. He is, but he's still shown that it actually age for him doesn't matter. His IQ, his spacing, his decision-making literally has not missed a beat. And I think people criticize Marquinhos, and I don't know why. I see people say, oh, this backline, if they start Marquinhos, is just going to leak goals eventually. But Marquinhos is a solid, solid defender, man. And he can get involved on corner kicks. He, yep. He's so effective on both ends of the pitch. But when it comes to defending, what, which, is, which is what his main job is, I would completely trust Marquinhos to get the job done. So having those two center backs already would give me a lot of confidence from a goal protection perspective if I'm Brazilian. Paired with Alisson as well. That's an incredible back three right there. Incredible. You have Rolls-Royce center back, Thiago Silva, Oof. who knows the game as well as any other center yeah. back in the world. And when you got other center backs like Pepe starting for Portugal, yeah, man. that age factor doesn't really come to play for me, man. No. And then you look right over and you have... PSG's go-to captain and a team that has Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe, exactly. Marquinhos. Yes. One of the most disciplined center backs in the game. And when he's on it, can be comparable to the likes of Van Dyke. Yeah, he's, you know, he, he can be a wall, so, man. so good, man. Yes. And so, yeah, I agree. I don't know why there's a lot of controversy over these two specific positions. I understand the further positions that we talk about. But for me, these two are pretty solid. And then if, if you do want to switch something up, you still have quality. You have Gabriel from Arsenal, who's an option as well. Yeah. You have Eder Militao, Champions League winner. Yes. I think Militao would be the alternative in yeah. this situation. Yeah, if someone gets injured or yes. if there's something like that. Yes. Yeah. And then lastly, you have Sassuolo, best Serie A defender of the year winner, Bremer. Yeah. yeah at he, your option, at and, your disposal. Yeah. And he's looked, even though Juve as a whole looked bad, Bremer individually has looked pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. There's a weird influx of Juve players in this team too. That's Dude, that I know. That's talk about, <laughs> yeah. but... Center backs, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos. We're pretty set on that. And for me, I think it's just very, very easy. As they, those two are elite center backs. Yeah. And I would not be worried at all if, you, if they start. Yeah. And now the biggest talking point is the fullbacks. Because everywhere I see when it comes to Brazil predictions, Brazil analysis, people say strong attacking line, good midfield, even good center backs. But those fullbacks, those... Those, those little fullbacks, <laughs> they just don't do it for me. They just don't convince me. That's what everyone's saying. Let's look at the options. At right back, you have Danilo, Juventus yep. Danilo. You have 39-year-old Dani Alves, if you want. If you want him. Um, Emerson Royal from Tottenham. Yeah. And then at That's... left back, you have Sandro from Juventus as well. Yeah. And then you have Arana from uh, Atletico Mineiro, who's yeah. been getting some call-ups. He has recently. Yeah, he, he definitely has. Alex Telles. And um, Colchonero's very own. Uh, yeah, Renan Lodi. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, For me, it gets very interesting, but I think it's not, not a nostalgic effect. It's more of like a what they used to have very recently. Because when you think about what Brazil had had for so long, you had Dani Alves on the right and Marcelo on the left. Two of the most talented, entertaining, effective fullbacks the game has ever seen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. And so when you no longer have that, of course, you're going to be like, Damn it, we're 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 loose in those positions. We, we quality has definitely dropped, but it's because it has. But the thing is, I wouldn't be too worried about it because when you take the scope of these fullbacks and you compare them to what all of the other countries have, sure, they're no Marcelo or Dani Alves, but 
still, players like Danilo, Alex Teles, Alexandro, hell, even Oren and Lodi to an extent, are all still pretty goddamn talented, man. So, yes, it is not what Brazil used to have in those fullback positions, but I still think they're pretty solid. And here's what I think was probably going to happen is what I think Chicha is going to go with. I think Danilo's for sure going to start his right back. Yeah. I think he's probably the most talented, the most sound, and he can do both sides. He's very comfortable going forward, but he's also a pretty, pretty decent defender. Um, and then on the left side, this is probably the position where Chicha is going to have the most headache as to who he goes with. And I think it's going to be completely down to form. The reason why I say that, Renan Lodi had been getting a lot of starts, but not recently. And it's because of his form, man. Atletico actually let him go to Nottingham Forest. He's loaned out. Probably won't see Lodi play again for Atletico, to be completely honest. It's because his form is pretty heavily dropped from that perspective. Um, when you look at Alexandro, too, for Juventus, Juventus as a whole maybe have dropped just a little bit. Um, and I think Alexander is one of those players that has actually dipped just a tiny yeah. bit in form. But what gets interesting is that it'd still be fine to play them. I know Alex Telles also was on loan for Manchester United to Sevilla, so his form has also just kind of mm -hmm. taken a weird little hit. I'd say the right back with Danilo is completely fine. That left back possession is a little loose as far as quality is concerned. But still, still, if you have Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, and Danilo all alongside left back, all alongside that left back, I think you're going to be ultimately completely okay. Yeah, because these are still guys that play in Europe. Like, I just exactly. don't see them as liabilities. The Not way that a liability. People are presenting them as liabilities, and you're completely right. Like, when you have, like, guys like Cafu, you know, what are your titles <laughs> at that position? Roberto Carlos, yeah. Marcelo, Dani Alves. Yes. Like, these are the best fullbacks the game has ever seen. When you have that type of quality, of course, you're going to feel a hit when it comes to, to these <laughs> These present talents. Yeah. But in the scope of world of international football, it's not that much of a downgrade, man. No, dude. It really isn't. No. Mexico would be ecstatic oh, to have give players me like any that. Any one of them, bro. But even more so, let's say that they are the weakest part of the Brazilian national team, which they might be. To me, the thing that gives me a lot of security is the presence of Tiago Silva, Marquinhos, and Alisson. Because mm. to me, the top four teams this World Cup are Brazil, France, England, Argentina. After that, you can put in Spain, Netherlands, Belgium, whoever. But yeah, to me, yeah. those are the top four teams. And so I asked myself, well, if they are, if the fullback position is weak, then they're going to have to rely on lot on those center back positions and that goalkeeper position. And who does Brazil have? They have Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, and Alisson. But in comparison to the other squads out there, uh, France have Varane, Kempempe, and Lloris. Yeah. I'm taking Brazil's all day. Yeah. England have Maguire, Stones, and Pickford. Brazil wins that Brazil matchup wins that easily. matchup easily, yeah. Lastly, Argentina ha will probably start Lisandro Martinez. Probably. Um, and Cristian Romero. Yeah. With uh, Emi Martinez at back. I think that's the one that comes closest. But even then, even then, I'm still taking that Brazil back three first beyond any of those. Yeah. When you talk about Brazil having a weakness, they have a strength and what's there to make up for what the fullbacks can't do. Yeah. Hella good coverage. That's a, that's a hell of a safety net, man. Yeah, bro. Like, what else would you want if you're a Brazilian? That, <laughs> exactly. that's, a, that's an amazing safety net. And so, for me, I feel a lot of security at the end of the day. Yeah. Sure, they won't dazzle. They might, not produce those, they might not produce those magical moments. Yeah. But all in all, for what this Brazil has up front, I think you're completely fine. Oh, bro. Yeah, absolutely. So, to, to, to just finish that left-pack position specifically, I think... Sure, it is probably the weakest link from Brazil. But if you compare it to literally any mm -hmm. other team at this tournament, 
is still pretty goddamn strong, dude. And what's interesting, too, is that Roger Ibanez, who's playing very, very well for Roma right now, just got the call-up. And I could see a situation where if Chiche really wants to cover that side and not go with an offensive fullback, maybe like how Danilo is, he could actually play Ibanez wide yeah. left. Because right now, uh, Ibanez plays in a back three as that wide left mm. center back. And how many times do we see center backs, and when a coach wants to go defensive, just put them in that fullback position. Mm. They just don't go forward. They just stay back. That's completely fine. And if Chichev really thinks it's a defensive weak point, just put Ibanez as that left back, and you completely cover it. So either way, Chichev can find a way to make this Brazil back line as strong as it could be against any team at this tournament. Does Dani Alves get called up? I'm going to ultimately say no. And I think the biggest reason why is probably just because he doesn't play in Europe anymore. I think that's the biggest reason why. Obviously, coupled with the fact that he's goddamn near 40 years old yeah. now. Yeah. It's just, it's just a little too past it. It's just a little, little too, too past, past it. it. Yeah. Maybe even if it had happened last year when he was at Barcelona. Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe he would have gotten that color. But yeah. now it's just a little too yeah, past it. It's just a it, little man. too late, yeah. All right, let's move up. Let's yeah. move up to the midfield, which is another stacked area for the Brazilian national team. Now you have depth in that center defensive mid position with Casemiro back at it now, still playing at a high level with Manchester United now finding his form there, but we yeah. already know what he's capable of. Man. Oh, yeah. Casemiro is a rock star in that position. Oh, dude. But even more so, man, you have Liverpool center defensive midfielder Fabinho. Yeah. Also there as an option if needed, who's actually gotten more call-ups recently than Casemiro has. This is a big debate of who starts in that position, but also... What formation is Chiche is what formation is Chiche gonna go with? Because he's definitely gonna have a backline of four players. That's yeah. what he always has. But from what I've seen, he goes with one of three formations: a four-two-three-one, a four-three-three, or a four-four-two. That's gonna define that midfield lineup for me. What do you think? He, how do you think he's gonna approach this tactically? I think tactically he's gonna go with either the two formations that give him two holding midfielders. I don't think he's going to have a single defensive point and instead he's going to pair them. Mm -hmm. And so if that, if that's the case, I could easily see a four, four, two. I maybe more realistically, I see a four, two, three, one, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and if that is the case, if I say that there's, he's going to have two holding midfielders, I think it's going to be Casemiro. And then alongside either, and this is where it could get interesting. Chiche could decide this either Fabinho or Manchester United, Fred. Yeah. Because the thing is, Fred has actually been playing a lot, especially in this last year, year and a half for Brazil. Oh, Chicha good. likes him. And he's good. No, yeah. and he's good. And that's the thing. Fred, at the end of the day, is actually a pretty good holding midfielder. <laughs> we see what he's capable of. <laughs> exactly. Uh, system, man. It, 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 precisely. It only benefits Fred if Ten Hag finds this form for Manchester United because Fred is a part of the squad, even in the starting 11 for Manchester United, even now. Yeah. He's been Manchester United starter for the four years that he's been there, yeah. man. He's a very, very good midfielder. And honestly, he fits into this Brazil team perfectly. So I see Casemiro and Fred playing. Yeah. But if you don't want to play Fred, or maybe you don't want to play Casemiro, you have perfect alternatives and Fabinho and also new uh, Newcastle United player Bruno Guimaraes mm -hmm. who's actually been coming on the scene recently and getting some decent calls by Chiche yeah 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 no in other options in Coutinho as well yeah if you want but maybe that's not the the choice for center defensive mid when he's gone 4-3-3 Paqueta gets a start in the midfield yeah um you also have Arthur as a potential option technically yeah, yeah. um haven't seen Douglas much of Luis, him recently. but yeah from from Chiche's perspective it's it's a mix of Casemiro, Fabinho, or Fred usually. That's how I see yeah. it. And, and that's what I'm going to completely assume. I don't think there's anybody else on his mind when it comes to those center of the park mm. midfield positions. 
Um, so, so let's assume it's going to be a four-two-three-one. Yeah, because I feel like that's what I've seen the most at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, and, and and I'm fine with that. And to fill that midfield role in the center, I actually do think that Paqueta is going to be that higher point, yeah. right behind the striker and right in the middle of the two wide players. GJ um, likes Paqueta, man. Yeah, he loves him, dude. Yeah. and he has complete faith in them. He has complete faith in him. And honestly, he produces. He's Brazilian. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> at the very core. Paqueta is a Brazilian creative midfielder. Yeah. Honestly, very similar to Kaká. Not as effective, obviously, because Kaká at his peak was one of the best players in the world. Oh. I don't think Paqueta has reached that level yet, even close. But Paqueta, at the end of the day, still has those same attributes. Incredibly skilled on the ball, but also an excellent distributor. Also in transition too. You need Paqueta to just go at a player. He can too. He can also get involved in the box, yeah. score a couple goals. So Paqueta's for me, the perfect attacking midfielder number 10 role that Brazil could offer right now. You can keep going, man. You know I love Lucas, man. I love Lucas, man. No, I, yeah, I, I think I, he's going to start. I really I, do. I went through and I circled who I think is a certified starter for this team. Oh, Paqueta. Yeah. Alisson, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, yeah. Paqueta. Yeah, up to the point, up to the where we're at right now. Yeah. I think Paqueta, because there's even a debate for Casemiro, Fabinho, who starts slightly. Paqueta starting, bro. 100%. Chiche is gonna find a way. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. find a way. But it reminds me of when Chiche, I think for one for one specific cycle, constantly played Renato Augusto, even though he was playing in China. Mm -hmm. He just liked him. He yeah. was like, "This guy's starting for me. I don't care what anybody else says. He's my Brazilian holding midfielder." And it's the same thing for Paqueta, but just as the attacking midfielder. Yeah. It doesn't matter who else is in form. It doesn't matter who else. It doesn't matter who tells Chiche to play. Chiche's like, nah, I'm playing Lucas. No, and that's a good thing because that's going to give Lucas so much confidence leading oh, up to dude, it, bro. Yeah. It, he's built a chemistry with Neymar, Vinny, whoever else is up there. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. But he's a certified start in this squad, man. Certified. certified. So possibly Casemiro, Fred as holding midfielders. Maybe mm -hmm. interchange that for Fabinho and Fred. Yeah. And then up in that attacking midfield position, Paqueta. Mm hmm. Let's talk offensive options, man. It's world-class, man. I think this is what Brazil has been missing for the past decade. Yes. Is offensive depth. There's been an over-reliance in Neymar and what he can achieve and create for this team for the past 10 years, and it's notable, man. You see mm -hmm. it. You, that's why I think it. you saw that 7-1 defeat yeah, against bro. Germany with him not being there. Um, and you saw it, especially in the 2018 World Cup, with how much of that team relied on him to just create for them. And once he got shut down, the rest of the Brazilian team had nothing. Yeah. They had nothing. And that's why they ultimately lost against Belgium, because Belgium just manhandled them once they figured out how to defend Brazil. And all you had to do at that point was guard Neymar. Yeah. I know about two certainties here. And I, I've I researched and saw that Chicha has said it himself. He said, if, if healthy... Vinny Jr. starts on the left. Neymar starts in the middle. That's what he said. If, if healthy, that is his go-to option. He showed that during the qualifying cycles that those are going to be the two most, the two biggest certainties for this Brazilian team when it comes to their offensive options. Mm -hmm. You look over on the right, and I think it's between two players, but even then, I think it's a clear-cut first option with Barcelona's Rafinha and Manchester United's Anthony. And for me, Rafinha starts. For me, I have Anthony starting. Whoa, yeah. okay. I think I, I think Anthony is just a little bit more in form right now, just overall. What I've seen from Rafinha at Barcelona, he's obviously doing really well, but I don't know. Rafinha, when I, just off the eye test, Rafinha's missing a little something. And for me, what it is, it's clinicalness, whether it's like on a cross or just the right decision. 
I don't know. Then again, I haven't seen a lot of Anthony because he just made that transfer yeah, to Man United. He just got there, but he did make a hell of a debut, though. He okay. made a hell of a debut. So I think this will come down to form ultimately up to the, exciting. Up to the tournament. Yeah, it's exciting. Like now when you watch Barcelona and Manchester United games, keep in mind that Chicha is watching these games yes. to get his answer to who gets that right wing position. Right? Yeah. And it, again, right now, I would say I would take Anthony. I would. But there is a there is a scenario there is a situation where Rafinha just starts going off for Barcelona. But I think from a clinical point of view, from a guy that I could rely on to make a big goal scoring opportunity and actually make it, I think I trust Anthony just a little bit more over Rafinha. But here's the thing: starting Rafinha, not really that much of a downgrade. No. It's like a one percent downgrade in my opinion, no. and that, that that's it. So whether you start Anthony or Rafinha, I don't think it's actually a mistake. If he goes with Rafinha, in my opinion, but I would start Anthony. And that's the thing about this team offensively that there really aren't many mistakes that you can make. I mean, <laughs> yeah, man, Gabriel Jesus could, yeah. it could possibly be on the bench. Yeah, on the bench, man. Uh, Roberto Firmino, that experience, that that know how oh. is going to be there. Yep. Um, Martinelli, could he get called up yeah. possibly? Rodrigo from uh, Real Madrid, Richarlison, Pedro. From, uh, Flamengo. Ah, from Flamengo, yeah. Um, Mateo Scuña from Atlético Madrid, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Gabigol from yeah. uh, Flamengo. That's who you have at your disposal. And, and the thing is, though, for me, the front three is pretty clear with the interchangeability of Anthony Rafinha because all these other players look set to come off the bench for for that added element of energy and whatever is needed at the time. I feel like they're all going to embrace that, assuming they're healthy. Vinny Jr., Neymar Jr., and then Rafinha or Anthony. I don't see any other player really breaking into the starting lineup based off what we've seen from Chiche and just the talent that is that is at hand. Yeah, no, I completely agree. All the players that we just listed in every single position, wide left, wide right, and central, those are going to be the players that Chiche calls up. And as you said, the majority of them know that they're going to be coming off the bench, yep. right? They, they know their role, but I think that's actually a good thing. Yes. Um, but my ultimate takeaway on this front three, I think for me, 100% you start Neymar, obviously. I mean, I'm not even going to go say why. <laughs> We're starting Neymar, 100%. I think oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, you start Neymar 100%. I think you start, in this case, either Anthony or Rafinha. I'm going to just go ahead and say Anthony for my little spiel right now. I think I'm going to be a little critical of Chiche here if he doesn't start Jesus. I'm going to be completely honest. I understand why you want to start Vinicius wide left, though, right? Neymar and Vinicius occupy the same position at club level, left. Obviously, Vinicius can only play left. Yeah. He cannot play on the right. He absolutely loves the cut inside. It's all he really knows how to do, but he's so good at it, you can't stop him. So you have to play him on the left. You have no choice. So what does that do with Neymar? Well, Neymar obviously has the talent to go anywhere else in that front three. You could put Neymar wide right, right if you wanted to. I think they'd be a waste. Put him at fullback. <laughs> <laughs> Low key, bro. Put him in that left back position, bro. Probably, yeah. He'd probably be completely fine. <laughs> um, but... What Chiche is electing to do, how do I start Vinicius? Well, I have to start him wide left. So that means I have to move Neymar. I'm not going to put him wide right, so I'm going to start Anthony in this case. So the only other place that Neymar can go is going to be central in that kind of Falstein drifting position. Obviously, he's done it before, and clearly it's definitely worked because they have not lost a game. Um, but the thing is, the way that Jesus is playing right now for Arsenal Football Club cannot be ignored so much so that chiche's got to look at himself and be like i gotta find a way to play, put jesus in this front three i have to find a way and in my opinion that way is you put vinicius down to the bench you put neymar wide left 
and you start Jesus as your target nine up top. That's the only way I see Chiche making this front three truly elite and truly as good as it can be. If, in my opinion, if he does not start Jesus as in that number nine position, it's that is a mistake. I think that is the only mistake Chiche can make in this entire squad is if he doesn't start Jesus. And it's clear, and it's only because of how Jesus has started off this season. If this was a year ago, I'd be like, don't start Jesus. Don't play him. You don't bring him off the bench. But the way he started for Arsenal, man, is ridiculous. Not even just statistically. I think he has like, what, four goals in eight games, 50% goal scoring ratio, three and, assists. And, and three yeah. assists. And, and yeah, that type of goal scoring ratio in any league is phenomenal. And, but not only that, his link up play. With all of his players, whether it's Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Udegaard underneath him, as low-key, very similar to the personnel that Brazil have. That's you have direct player in Anthony or Rafinha, whichever one you want. But then you have creative flair player Neymar on the left in this scenario where he can either cut inside, cut deep, or go out wide and send it across to Jesus. Or Jesus can go play with his pocket player in Paqueta. He plays in a very similar system at Arsenal, and it would only benefit Chiche to put him in the same system here at Brazil because it's a translation. It's not an adaptation that Jesus would have to make. And we've seen how well Jesus has combined, linked up yeah. with his Arsenal teammates. If, if Jesus can do that with his Brazilian teammates, which I don't see why not, I really don't, after what I just said, then you have the deadliest front three at the World Cup. If you don't play him, though... Obviously, Vinicius is incredible, but then in that in that regard, you have two direct players in Anthony, Rafinha, and Vinicius, and then you have a little bit of flair with Neymar. You start Jesus, Jesus can be both direct, physical, and engaging, but he also has that flair and technique as we've seen him score incredible goals and get incredible assists right this season with Arsenal. And I'm a little scared here because I don't think Chiche is going to go with it. I'm no, a little no, scared. I don't think he is. And I think it's I think it's a genuine mistake. I think it's a question of what type of offensive mix he wants to create does he want something that's more direct or does he want something that's more creative for me the Vinny jr neymar mix is more creative but it might be too much creativity yeah. it might it might be too much indirectness whereas if you right. put in gabriel jesus it's very clear what he does for you and what do you have to give him because of the state of the brazilian team and where they're at right now the fact that they were able to to qualify that the way that they did i don't see Vinny jr neymar jr being a bad decision nor do I see the same with Neymar Jr. on the left and Gabriel Jesus down the middle. Mm -hmm. I think this is just a, a signal of how tight that decision is going to have to be for Chiche and a decision that he'll probably have to make during the World Cup. Yep. Because he can't get that answer anymore. I don't think he so. He won't. He's going to get that answer like mid-game against like Switzerland in his first, <laughs> in like the first match. Yes. He's going to realize that, okay, if we want to be able to penetrate efficiently, we might need Jesus. Or the opposite. Vinny Jr. might have a master class of a game right. and he can and he, and he and he won't have that option to he just has to, he'll have to leave him on there right so i think it does produce it does it does signify the conundrum he is in and how tight of a decision that is i wonder if within the whole scope of the national team if it is that important what if it is good enough Vinny jr neymar jr to just start what if that is good enough for them to be able to go deep into the world cup whereas the same might have happened with gabriel jesus as well i think it's just a matter of preference at this point almost it definitely is but just from all of my experience, from what I've seen, you need a striker to win a World Cup. 
you need one. And you don't even need one that can score goals, but you need one that knows how to play with his back to goal. You need one that knows how to just be a nuisance in the box. Yeah. We saw Giroud do it for in 2018. Yeah, was Giroud was amazing. He was huge for that French Huge. Team. All he did was build, link. He is His number one priority was yeah. not to score. Yeah. It wasn't. And the thing is, Jesus can link. He can build, but he also can score. He's also a lot better than Giroud when it comes to efficiency in front of goal. And if there comes a point where, yes, you have penetration, and penetration like no other with Vinicius on the left, Neymar... Neymar can't, Neymar can't do hold-up play for 90 minutes. No. He no, can't. Yeah. It's not what he does. Now, obviously, he has the talent to do anything, and I'm not questioning Neymar's ability. What I am questioning would be Chiche's tactics in that regard because by not starting Jesus, Chiche's telling me something. He's saying, I don't need a target man, and I don't, and I don't think I want one. Yeah. And by making that decision, I'm critiquing him by saying he's making a mistake because I think to be the deadliest offense in the world, you have to have an elite striker. And you already have that in Jesus. To not play him, I think, is a mistake. Because you have it. It's not like Jesus is a striker and he's shaky. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. like Jesus is trying to struggle and find form at Arsenal because he's with his new club. Jesus has been off it from the start this year with Arsenal. You have arguably one of the better strikers in the world right now in your colors for the national team, and Chicha would be electing to not even start I do him. Think it, it's and being, for me, yeah. that's a mistake. I think it's incredibly bold, man, to go with It'd be incredibly a bold. much younger player, Vinicius Jr., who had his rise just last year. Just last year. Versus uh, Jesus, who was at the World Cup four years ago. Yeah. He's a little bit more experienced. I don't know. I do think it's a very bold call. It's very I, bold. I, I do. Yeah, it's very, very bold. And I'm already a little scared, man, because he didn't call him up for these two friendlies. And earlier in the pod, we talked about Coach Ego. And this might be one of those cases, man. And I know apparently he had a conversation with Jesus. All Jesus said was, I can't blame anybody but myself. I just, all I can do is just be better at club level. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Whether Chiche picks him and doesn't start him, I think it's a mistake. If Chiche doesn't even call him up at, at all, I think that's an enormous mistake. Jesus, for me, has to start at the top position, number nine for Brazil at this 2022 FIFA World Cup. Um, and I'm, I'm a little scared here because if Chiche just doesn't do but that. On, but the, on the same side, it's not like Vinny's like just some average left winger, man. He's not. He's phenomenal. But man. I'm talking and he about, started off the season hot too, man. Oh, no, he started off great. Yeah. He started off phenomenal. But I, I, it, I need a striker. Yeah, I you're, need you're a number more, nine. Uh, uh, just from tactically, uh, for tactically, yeah. philosophically, yeah. I need a target man. And the fact that you have Jesus, play him, play him. <laughs> but not only that, it seems like Chiche is anti-Arsenal too because he didn't call up Martinelli yeah. or Gabriel, the center back. Yeah. He didn't pick any of the three starting Brazilians that play for Arsenal. So that's, that's interesting too. Now, obviously he said, well, he's trying to look at new players. Sure, because he called up, for example, Pedro and Roger Ibanez. But then why didn't he pick Martinelli, right? Martinelli is doing great right now. He's looking incredible with Arsenal. And if he's looking at new players, Martinelli hasn't gotten that much call-ups. Yeah. Why not pick him? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a little worried about Chiche's ego right now. I'm going to be completely honest. Now, of course, at the end of the day, he'll probably pick Jesus, probably. And it'd be crazy if he didn't. It'd be absolutely wild if he didn't. So I'm not going to go there yet and say that Chiche has a huge ego. But... Well, I'll find out a lot come that first day yeah, yeah. when he lists yeah. his Brazilian 11. 
I'll, I'll find a lot about Chiche as a coach, man. Similar, similar to Luis Enrique, because yep. we were talking yep. about how, is he going to pick Cucurella? Didn't pick him. Yep. Hasn't picked Cucurella, and I think that's just down to ego and down to he's not in my plans, so it doesn't matter how good he's playing, he's not coming. Just like you talked about Tolman. But, but, but that ego is what got him a historic qualifying campaign, too. <laughs> it's, what, it's, what's, it's what's kind of forming this amazing Brazilian squad already, too. So I think it's, it's tough, man. I almost wish that he had struggled a little bit during the qualifiers so that he could look towards other options. It's like his plan worked oh, almost too, too perfectly. perfectly yeah. Too perfectly. And like yeah, I keep saying, he's going he's gonna to end up having to make that decision while the World Cup is happening, yeah. which is going to be amazing to see. Like If he ever switches up that team sheet, it would be fascinating to see what psychologically went behind oh, the bro. scenes for Chiche. And it, you know, that'd be fascinating. And just to be very, very clear here, yes, I would say that Jesus not being started is a mistake, but you still have any, a world-class front three regardless. I'm not saying that not picking Jesus is a complete downgrade, but he's so good that I think you have to start him. If he doesn't start, you still have an incredible offensive three. An incredible bro, the moment one. that Neymar loses the ball, trying to hold it up, you're just going to be screaming at the TV, bro. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody's screaming. The first time he does it, too, you're just going to be on his ass about it, man. Oh, bro, I'm going to be... If, I, 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 like I said, I still think they'll be so entertaining to watch, but I will be genuinely upset, pissed, if Jesus does not start, just from a football fan perspective. It could be the decision that defines whether if Brazil can win the World Cup or not. Yeah, it, no, that, it, it could be. Important. Neymar Jr., man. What a story, man. What a career he's had. I was thinking about that the other day, just like for fun. The journey that he has gone through at club level, but also international level. He, uh, I remember when I was watching the 2014 World Cup, the idea of like what a 24-year-old Neymar at the time having the pressure of a country who was hosting the tournament on his shoulders fascinated me. Dude, he, fascinated he, me, he was asked to win the World Cup. Yeah. an entire nation from the moment that he was 17 at santos they're like the the you hear the echoes of the next pele obviously the historic club santos also where pele played when Mm -hmm. he when he was coming through the brazilian league and you hear this guy neymar wins the copa libertadores in 2011 and there's so much build up to 2014 because there was talks of should neymar go to europe beforehand would it be a mistake because what if he just doesn't play? Because he would go to Barcelona and you have Messi and Luis Suarez yeah. and there's just too much talent. Pe- uh, Pedro, right? Would, would Neymar be an immediate fit? Why not stay at Santos so he can get game time and be match fit and match ready to play for Brazil? That in and of itself, an insane storyline, man. And to see it culminate to what ultimately ended up happening at the 2014 World Cup was uh, incredible mind-boggling mind-boggling mind dude yeah the amount of pressure is just ridiculous yeah but but the type of player that that neymar has become with his move from barcelona to psg that mm-hmm. being the most expensive player i think of all time right now but also culturally what he's been known for like his antics the way that he flops on the field right but also his incredible ability to get by a player the dribbling that he has uh, at his disposal yeah. is incredible one of the best dribblers i've ever seen just the type of player and enigma that he is um 2018 happens and it's another disappointment. It really is, but it isn't on. It isn't his fault because really that responsibility was given to him unfairly of asking him to do things that was too much for him to do. Oh yeah, something that the whole team should have done, not exactly. just him. 2022 is his chance to to do something special. Yeah, and I get chills thinking about it, man, because he knows it. 
Oh, he knows Neymar it. Neymar knows it. Yeah. It's truly the first season that I've seen Neymar approach with a a purely results-driven focus. Mm-hmm. He is out here just looking to win as many games as possible yeah. at the club and international level. Yeah. He's looking to play his absolute best solo and team football. Yeah, produce on all fronts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Putting up assists, putting up goals. He's almost at double digits within League One already. Yeah, yeah. And he's playing with a mentality I've never seen him before, man. He's hungry. Mm-hmm. He is hungry. He is eager. And he's building himself up a season arc that I am excited to see progress at the World Cup with what could be a World Cup victory. Because the idea of Neymar lifting that World Cup trophy after everything he has been through yeah. within the media, within the teams he's been on, and the teammates that he's had, to see that culminate finally in a World Cup trophy for this specific player, man, yeah. would be awesome to see. Yeah. It would be awesome to see. As it, a fan of the sport, as a fan of the Brazilian country, and as, and as a fan of his legacy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Winning the World Cup this year would be absolutely vindicating for a player like Neymar. So many critics, man. So many critics, but an equal amount of supporters. People who genuinely just love watching Neymar play the beautiful game, man. And I'm one of those people. I think a lot of people are. Um, but yeah, it'd be so vindicating for him to do it because he's, you know, he's come from nothing in Brazil, made his name with Santos, went to Barcelona, was part of that huge front three. And that's kind of what I was getting at is that in 2014, there was that weird transition from South America to Europe for him specifically. But then he was also asked to lead a nation yeah. in his home country. But then in 2018, things still weren't sure for Neymar club-wise, right? He had just left Barcelona. He was at PSG. But, you know, he got a lot of criticism for that move, especially early on, bro, especially early on. And obviously, that was just probably in his head for a while. And the PSG squad itself weren't really sure what to think about Neymar too. He wasn't the captain. He wasn't their go-to guy. He was just kind of like a superstar that came to Paris. Yeah. But now, in 2022, as you just perfectly laid out, Neymar is going off at PSG. But it's because he is PSG now. He is now at a club that he's completely involved in offensively, but also like low-key spiritually too. When people think about PSG now, Neymar's tied to that club now because Neymar has become that. And so when you take that such positive energy at club level, and you translate that to the amount of talent that you have at this Brazilian international team, this could lead to something great. Yeah, It really could. If there's a time to do it, as you said, he knows, I think this is that time, dude. Yeah, It's and, set up and, perfectly. Yeah, it's set up to be, if he, if he has that godlike moment of being able to lift the World Cup, it'll be an iconic image that goes down in the history of the game. Yeah. It'll be looked at in the same way that Cafu lifting the World Cup trophy in 2002. As uh, Canavaro in 2006, yeah. uh, Casillas in 2010, the list goes on. Yeah. It'll be Neymar 2022, yeah, the the immediate candidate for a Ballon d'Or. For, oh, for, bro, yes. <laughs> bro, yeah, he, the immediate candidate. If he wins it. I just pray that he continues to stay fit because he is the ultimate piece that Brazil needs. They need him to be able to win the World Cup. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. Regardless absolutely. of the talent they have at hand, it's Neymar who's going to be able to push them even further into that elite status. Yeah. And so I hope that we can see it, man. I hope. My ultimate takeaway going into the World Cup just in general for both Brazil and Argentina in the sense that I'm not convinced by South American competition. I'm not. Um, so much so, the only thing I'm worried about for Brazil and I'll go again and say Argentina is can they do it against a really, really good European team who play, you know, overall a different style of football, 
something that's so different to mid to lower tier South American teams? Um, and can they do it on the biggest stage? Let's say they play Serbia and Serbia just take it to them. They play that hard European football where it's just tight, but then they have like a couple of players that can actually hurt you. What do Brazil do? Are they used to that? Because when it comes to World Cup qualifying, they're not. Club level wise, sure. But when you're out, out when you're out on that pitch, you have to rely on your teammates. And if you're not used to that type of pressure together, that could definitely be a weakness. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. This was my ultimate take on why I don't think Brazil or Argentina will lift the trophy at the end of the tournament because of that. Because of that constant competition that European teams face and Brazil and Argentine teams don't. What do they do? Again, I guess we'll find out to see what type of coach Chiche is. Um, but it isn't to say that they can't figure it out because these are elite players. Absolutely elite players. But I guess for my whole takeaway on this whole Brazilian squad, even if I just look past positives and weaknesses, I want to see the product. I just want to see it. I want to see what this 11 can do out on the pitch in the World Cup. Like, I'm done analyzing. I'm done speculating. Screw it. Don't start Jesus. I don't care anymore. I want to see what this Brazilian team in 2022 is actually made of. And I am so excited to see what they do because I don't know. I really don't know. All I know is that they're going to dazzle and that they have one of the most talented and stacked teams at this tournament. But I'm done analyzing. I'm done speculating. I want to see what they actually do. And, hey, this is what we're here for. I've never seen Brazil win a World Cup. It's been 20 years since they last won it. And um, as a football fan, I've always yearned for that, man. Honestly, Mm. honestly, to be able to see even just a South American win the World Cup. I haven't even gotten that luxury, man. And you um, won't. Europe has dominated <laughs> for, for decades. And I've always looked for that moment where I can genuinely believe that a Brazilian team can lift the World Cup trophy. In years past, I haven't felt that, man. I just haven't felt that. And especially in 2018, I didn't feel that. Oh, no. I feel it this year. Missed out. I feel it this year, man. I said it, what, five months ago when we made our early World Cup champion predictions? Okay. I said Brazil back then. I said that's who I would pick, but you know, time passes. Maybe my my maybe my opinion changes. It's not changing, man. Yeah. I have Brazil lifting the World Cup trophy for the first time in 20 years. I have Brazil reminding everyone of the prowess that they are capable of on the biggest stage of this sport. Yeah. And I have Neymar Jr., the boy who's been critiqued, the boy who has been under siege for the entirety of his career. Finally proving his doubters wrong, mm. his critics wrong, in tears, lifting up oh, the World bro. Cup trophy for breathe. the first time in his career yeah. and joining the icons that we know of this sport in this country, such as you know Ronaldinho and all those. Yeah. Brazil's winning the 2022 FIFA World Cup. I know it's early into our analysis and our predictions, but I think this is what I'm going to stick by. Yeah, no, I, I think this is my pick. It's a good pick. I think that they have too much... Uh, I think that their World Cup qualifying cycle cannot be ignored despite what region they are in to achieve what they achieved amongst 17 games is incredible. Even in little league football, man, it's tough to, it's tough to see a team go 17 games without losing, man. Right. It's an incredible feat. Right. But not just that. The way they did it, 40 goals for, 
five against, man. Five. That's why. And people are complaining about the fullbacks. That's five, so true. <laughs> five against, man. It's fascinating, man. It's fascinating. They're only going to continue building up that momentum that they built from those qualifying cycles. Chicha gets it right, and we see Brazil lift the 2022 FIFA World Cup. We go back to this video. I look like an absolute prediction king mm -hmm. getting it right, mm -hmm. and Neymar wins the Ballon d'Or. That, that is my prophecy and my prediction for this World Cup and this Brazilian team, man. You just described Neymar's wet dream, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds it's incredible, time. bro. It's time. It's time. And I think it's with this team. So, folks, that's who we're going with. Those are our calls here. My final prediction is Brazil wins the World Cup. How far do you have them going? I, I have them as, first of all, I have them as genuine title contenders. As in, I could see them lift the World Cup. But as far as just predictions are concerned, I'm going to say they ultimately won't. But I think they'll get pretty damn far, man. I have Brazil going to the semifinals and putting up a hell of a fight. And they're going to be beaten by a team, but a, by a really, really good team. We're going to be entertained like no other. But I don't have them lifting it at the end of the day. You know, real quick, well, it looks very, very likely that if Argentina come out in first in their group and Brazil come out in the first in their group, They'll meet in the semifinals, assuming they both win up to that point. Right. Can you imagine an Argentina versus Brazil, Brazil semifinal matchup, man? Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? That'd be one of the most hyped-up games in the history of sport for me, man. Bro, no, no, like, just in general, man. It'd be, like, probably yeah. one of the most watched games in history. Yeah. Solely because yeah. Messi and Neymar are out on the same pitch for their countries at one moment in time. With the opportunity to go to, a final. to, go to the final. <laughs> oh, my God, man. Yeah, that sounds oh insane. God. I have Brazil winning that matchup. If that happens, I have them winning it. If that happens, I have them winning it. And then I don't know who they lose to. But okay. <laughs> All right. So, so you're going semifinal exit. For I'm going I'm going semifinal exit as a prediction. Yes, but okay. but they, they could lift it. Okay. They have the talent. Yeah. All right. So, folks, it's time. Let us know in the comments. Yes. Yes, sir. Everything you have to say about our takes and also this Brazilian national team. How far did they go in the World Cup? Will they lift the World Cup trophy? Neymar's legacy. I need, your, I need to know y'all's thoughts on that. But man, so many questions and so many things to find out as we get closer to the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Remember to let us know what you think in the comments. Who should we do next? What country should we analyze next? But for now, if you stayed up to this point, thank you for watching. And we'll be back again soon. Peace, guys.